When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 219. We're recording on Thursday, July 20th, 2017. I'm Jeff O'Neill. I'm here with Rebecca Shinsky. We're coming to you from BookRiot.com. Hello. I feel uh, like we just did this. We did. It's weird. It's a weird <laughs> schedule, but we're back on something like a regular schedule, except that you're going to be out next week. Yeah, Amanda will be here in my Amanda's going to jump in and... Uh, Jump on, jump on uh, your spot there. I'm um, looking forward to that. Uh, so trying to think if there's anything else that's going on. Anything else going on we need to talk about before we get into well, follow-up and you start know, the show? you know, we're in the middle of recording the next episode of Annotated. Ah, yes, that's true. when you're listening to this at the beginning of your week, that episode will be coming out. No, no, no. A week from on- today. Right, yeah. Come, so uh, the good people will be listening to it on Monday, and it'll be coming out a couple days later. Oh, oh, yes. I thought you were saying I it wasn't will be done out. yet. My, my mistake. I'm nervous about. I, I got a <laughs> deadline fever. Do you want to give the people a, a slug line, or is it a surprise? <sighs> well, I don't. What do you think? Should we give them a, what's? Well, can I? I tell them the title. Can I tell them the yeah, title? Yeah, is yeah. that too much? I think you can tell them the title. Uh, the title is the world's most glamorous librarian. That's the title of the show. I like it. For it tells them a little, but nothing. It gives me that feeling of like um, that Fitzgerald story, the diamond as big as the Ritz. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, it's very... I, I won't even tell you anything more because you can let your imagination... This is the first on the podcast. I haven't said anything else about it to, any, to anybody, so that's not uh, you guys. Um, so look forward to that. And thank you guys so much for rating and reviewing the show. Um, I got a lot of nice feedback about the independent bookstore one. Uh, the the ABA and a lot of independent booksellers... Mm-hmm. Um, said that they thought it was really good and on the money about book selling in 2017. So that made me happy that it was reflected. Yeah, that was awesome. And um, I'm going to Portland, Maine for the weekend. So I'll get to check Yay. out print uh, and Josh Christie's mm-hmm. store in person and I can report back. Yeah. Let's do a little follow-up um, real quick. So this has got got quite a, f- a few notes um, about our discussion of the Wichita Police distribu- distributing books. Um, some saying, thank you for the nuance. Some saying that's super fascinating. Uh, and some uncomfortable or at least wanting to fill in some information about one of the books, uh, Mm. One Crazy Summer by Rita Williams Garcia, which is a middle grade book about uh, three black girls going to Oakland for the summer in 1968. And at the backdrop is what's going on with the Black Panthers and things like that. And um, a couple of the feedbacks were like, that's, you know, does, that's inter- I think it was interesting. That one was a little bit more, I'd say, critical of us not knowing what it is, not taking into account that, you know, this, if you would have looked it up, you would know that they were having inclusive things. Mm, has- that's fair. That's fair. Except I'll say this, though. I, in a way, it makes it more fraught, right? I mean, I don't, I mean, I'm not sure what people know about the Black Panthers, but like the Black Panthers are largely brought down by their interactions with the police. Like, well, that's a weird, it's fraught, man. Like, yeah, I, just don't I know kind what to of say want, like it. if they were handing out the hate you give, I would have so many weird feelings about that. Yeah, it's just, and again, I, I think the, the point I was trying to circle around to, and maybe I didn't quite get there, is it almost kind of doesn't matter what the books are. 
like the, where it comes from matters. Mm-hmm. Like it changes what the I think uh, this is my sense of it is it changes what you know if you're let's say you're a, a, a nine year old black kid in in Wichita getting a book from cops about you know police brutality and the Black Panthers in Oakland sixty or, you know sixty years ago like. Maybe it works out great, but also it could be super, like, kind of a mind trip, right? Yeah, I, it, it could go either way. way. And my yeah. point is that the whole thing is fraught. It's not the, the, the critique I was making, or not even critique, really, but the observation I think we were both getting around to was like, that's more complicated than just we're giving you units of book goodness and isn't it all good? It's just not that simple. Right, it could yeah, be great. It could be different. It could be bad. Right. But it's not simple. If anything, it's just it's not, not simple. As, it's not as straightforward as like, here are vending machines that have free books in them. Come get them because all we wanted to do was put free books into this community. Like where those books are coming from really does matter. And the relationship that the source in this case, the police have with the community matters. And when the content of the book is related to police action and Mm -hmm. race in some way, I, I agree. I think that makes it more interesting and more fraught. The whole thing is very tangly. Um, speaking of, Rita Williams Garcia. This is just yeah, a nice, it's kind of, it's just like, a weird, weird coincidence. coincidence. Right. Um, our first sponsor this week is It All Comes Down to This by Karen English, which is set in 1965 LA. It's about a 12-year-old girl named Sophie. All she wants to do is write her book, star in the community play, and hang out with her best friend Jennifer. But she is the new black kid in a nearly all-white neighborhood. Sophie's beloved sister Lily is going away to college soon and her parents' marriage is rocky. When riots erupt in Watts and a friend is unfairly arrested, Sophie learns that life and her place in it are more complicated than she had once thought. Uh, And this book is recommended for fans of Rita Williams Garcia. It is leavened with gentle humor, but it takes on living history. There's a nuanced understanding of American civil rights, uh, both in the 60s and with some shades of what's going on today. Themes of discrimination, racism, civil unrest, the civil rights movement of the 1960s that informs current social justice movements that we're seeing both in the broader culture like Black Lives Matter and specifically in publishing with We Need Diverse Books. Uh, This is long-awaited standalone fiction from an award-winning author. Her last middle-grade historical novel was really highly acclaimed and won a Coretta Scott King Honor Award. Uh, And this is just a pitch-perfect middle-grade protagonist. Uh, So again, the book is It All Comes down to this by Karen English, and we'll have a link to it in the show notes. Um, we're going to continue with the follow. I want to just return back to one crazy summer. I, I did get a lot of people said that one crazy summer is great. So if you're into middle grade books and that sounds interesting, you uh, uh, universal uh, uh, acclaim from our feedback about that book in particular. So I, I I don't know anything about the book. I'm sure it's a great book, um, but I thought I would give that caveat too. Like mm-hmm. listener feedback was apart from its relationship to this particular event or this, uh, you know, distribution program, that book itself is super interesting. Uh, another quick follow-up thing. Uh, I, I think we blew, I, we got a lot of feedback, just people sort of having their minds blown about the translation thing. We're just going to get to in a minute, but I also wanted to thank everybody about telling us, um, your comic origin stories, what you read, how you read, got so many good responses. I'm not the only one out there apparently that prefers digital comics, um, for a lot of reasons. Like, and, and it's always, it's always interesting to see your own experience sort of reflected back in other people's, you know, their, their own habits. Mm-hmm. And the, and the one that really spoke to me this time was like, I like to save up the trade volumes as much as I can, with a few exceptions, just if I, I can't wait, because 
I, I don't like the you know, it's 20 minutes and I'm I'm done with Lumberjanes for a year. Oh, right? you want like, that immersive. You know, I just like a little more, like I want to sit down with, a, you know, you know, a, a Coke and or a cup of coffee and spend an hour, two hours. And so not only just not doing single issues, but then not even doing single trades at a time was something we heard a lot about. A lot of, you know, people started reading comics at a whole bunch of variety of ages. It does seem to me that people who started reading comics earlier in their life started out with superhero comics. And the people who started out later in their life started out with, you know, you can kind of, you know, the usual suspects we've talked about before here, you know, Bitch Planet and Saga and Lumberjanes and some other things that we talk about a lot on the site. Um, some people said they got into the Read Harder Challenge. A couple of people said that, like they had to read a comic, they found something and got into it. Um, some people said they used to be comic snobs and that's not reading and blah, blah, blah. And now they're comic zealots and turned around <laughs> on it. So that's, no, that's a good story. That I, I didn't get a lot of again. Maybe this is you know self selection bias. I didn't get a lot of people saying, you know, I tried some comics and it just wasn't for me. Maybe they just didn't say anything. Hmm. Uh, but at least in the responses, we didn't hear a lot about that. Uh, and then the translation stuff, we had. An, I think this was actually more on the contributor Slack. The contributors were, you know, I guess the contributors have talked about comics and whatever for years mm-hmm. now. But the 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 translation stuff <laughs> uh, <laughs> really really got us going there a little bit. Yeah, there was a lot of like what there and very extended discussions about the vegetarian and. This, I think the thing that we all sort of settled on is it's the lack of a baseline for what, mm-hmm. like, what is a reasonable difference? Everyone expects that there will be some differences in translations since there are differences in language and certain things can't be conveyed exactly. Um, but the, like, there's no fact checking of it essentially um, seems accepted and people were kind of working through. Of course, they can't like do a translation and then translate it back to the original just to double check who has time for that, who would be the authority, how would that all work? But like 10% seems, it seems like a big number, but is it a big number? I think yeah. we all sort of had this head spinning moment of like, what if it's, what if like 25% difference is actually the average and no one knows? Like, where do you put your stake in the ground about what's reasonable to expect? And how would we even get there without re you know, translating back a bunch of things that had been originally translated? But probably, at least to me, the best part of all that follow up was contributors and some of the Book Riot insiders on that Slack sharing other. like wild translation stories that they know. Um, And my favorite one is that Dracula in uh, Icelandic is actually like a completely different book. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's called the, uh, in Icelandic, it's called Powers of Darkness. It was translated from English only a couple of years after Dracula was originally published in the late 1890s. And it became almost instantly famous but the Icelandic text which was produced by a translator named Valdemar Asdvinson um, it's a completely different version of the story and only recently um, like in 1986 did which is recent I guess for the life of Dracula did anybody really start noticing this Um, but in in 2014 um, a Dutch author and historian named Hans Cornel de Rose 
went back to the original text of Powers of Darkness to verify something, and he discovered that the Icelandic story diverges significantly from the original. Um, and also, like, just another interesting piece of this is that the Icelandic translation was originally published as a serial in an Icelandic mm-hmm. newspaper. Um, so scholars, including DeRose, believed that it was one of the first translations of Bram Stoker's work. Um, but really, inter- like, it makes you wonder, is, is, are these just out there all over the place and we have no idea? Like, Yeah, I feel like this, there's a lot of rocks with worms under them in this garden. Yeah. yeah I think, you know, uh, um, we got another story about a girl with a dragon tattoo mm-hmm. where the translator asked to have his or her name taken off the or used replaced with a pseudonym because they were unhappy with the changes the publisher made to the book. Yeah, to the English and did, version. It, to the English version. Um, I mean, I mean, and we were t- going back and forth, like, you know, what what could they change? Did they tone it down? Did they they make it more violent? And there's really no way to know. I think we get a hint when they change the name from men who hate women to girl with a dragon tattoo. Like that's a, that alone is just an enormous <laughs> de- framing is, difference. Sweden is a little further along the feminism train than the U S is. Yeah. And then the weird, the part of the book is that it isn't like, that's another right. thing about that's going on. And it's strange, strange times to think about. So I'm not sure. I, I don't know what to do with all this information. I, I, I guess, except we should all have the, floating disclaimer when reading in translation if we don't have any access to source material that we can read ourselves or even critiques is like you know this is a version uh and i cannot expect uh or predict what the relationship of this text to the original thing is Mm -hmm. just can't do it that's just so it's so weird jeff like it's it's strange i mean i guess the, the more famous a book is like i guess dostoevsky you know Crime and Punishment, there's a bunch of different translations. Right. I guess what you have there is you can at least see the range of possible interpretations and sort of create an electro- electron cloud of most probabilistic reading of it. Mm-hmm. But that's as kind of the best you can do if you don't have access to the source right, material. If it's, and if it's not like Dostoevsky or the Iliad, as you were talking about last right. week, or something that's just been translated a jillion times, then all the weight rests on like the one translator. Yeah, a lot of small numbers for translation almost. Like yeah. one person doing it has a real chance that that out, you just have no idea if that's it's, an outlier or not. You just and don't if you want to go down the rabbit hole, apparently the Wikipedia page about Girl with the Dragon Tattoo includes yes. like the pseudonym of the translator and what that person's real name is and some of the drama and backstory around it. And it's, you know, I would, I wish that more novels in translation came with translator's notes like Hmm. it would be super interesting to pick up a novel in translation and get a like a list of you know here are 10 idioms that were in this book that I couldn't translate or that don't translate to English so here's what I did with them or interesting seriously seriously he did mention Billy's Pizza this many times seriously (laughs) right we didn't make this up we didn't make this up Billy's Pizza and it's not paid product placement (laughs) (laughs) oh that this is unrelated except follow up tangential follow up yes I know where you're going here when we were joking about Billy's Pizza on the Book Riot contributor slack um, somehow it came around to, to a joke about product placement and one of our contributors noted that she thinks the book that she is reading right now which we don't need to name is packed with it and we started going around like I remember reading a couple of years ago about um, a novel that was being sponsored by 
Bulgari, the jewelry company, and that there were like paid mentions of this jewelry company in this novel. And I went back and Googled a little more, and there was a piece I found from 2006 where um, a makeup company was sponsoring a young adult novel to have paid mentions in it. And we haven't really heard anything else about it. Like you were noting that, you know, on TV shows, you can tell when something is paid placement because like everyone is just yeah. casually carrying around their Microsoft tablet. Um, and we get mentions of products all the time in books. It never occurs to me when I'm reading that that might be paid, but I suppose it's possible since like if a character on a TV show is just holding a Microsoft tablet, they don't have to disclose that it's paid. Um, I think the rule one of the contributors was saying is like, if someone is like, here, look it up on my Microsoft tablet, that's super easy to use. Like Mm. then you would have to disclose, but if it's just present, you don't, as a thing in the story. You don't have to note that it's paid there. So if any of you know, even if you would like to remain anonymous to the yeah, listeners... Yeah, you could be an unnamed birdie. That's fine. Please, uh, we would love to know if this is happening in publishing. Um, are authors making deals with companies to mention specific products? And if they're not, what would you think about it. Like I expect that a lot of the response will be like, that's fine on TV, but not in my books. But, like mm-hmm. if you didn't know, um, I was joking that La Perla should start cashing in on all the mentions <laughs> that they get in romance, like in contemporary romance novels. Cause that's the go-to name check for like the, she had on her best lingerie and that's where it came from. Um, but like, I wouldn't, I don't think I'd really, if I don't know that it's there and it doesn't change the story that it's La Perla and not Victoria's Secret, then like, whatever, make your money. Um, but I'm curious about whether that's happening and if so, how much it's happening. You know, I don't notice it that often. I mean, I guess it's especially when you're specific brands, right? You notice and the, mm. the oh, and again, I haven't done that much reading where it would be appropriate even to have the brand. I'm like not saying that product placement would be appropriate, but let's say you did it smoothly right? right where you just decided to use this brand name rather than no brand name or right. or like other like coke instead of pepsi or, or like just they a drink soda, a certain right? type of wine at dinner yeah well that yeah. was i gonna say is like i read the force by don winslow which i really liked and there's a lot of brand name talk and it's important to the story in a lot of ways wearing this expensive watch or this kind of wine or you know drinking crystal and i was like in that situation you wouldn't it wouldn't take you out of the story, I don't think, because it is mentioning the brand is part and parcel of the story. But on the other hand, in order to get a product placement deal, I guess the publisher would have to guarantee a certain amount of sales, right? Because like you'd have to. That's that's why TV and movies mm-hmm. work because it's going to be on the big screen and people are going to see it. It can't be just like in a literary fiction novel or a debut novel where no one knows if it's going to sell or anything like Jeff. that. You, Jeff, what? what if Disney is the reason that Robert Langdon wears a Mickey Mouse watch? Look, I don't <laughs> want to go down the Dan Brown conspiracies about Dan Brown rabbit hole, but I will go there and space and time will fold into itself. <laughs> let's let's just pause for that for a minute. Well, wait, no, but it can't, they're not going to do that. I mean, <laughs> well, yeah, but see, did the Da Vinci Codes, I mean, didn't Langdon start wearing those in like the oh, Angels all, and Demons? Yes. Mate, Dan Brown's playing the long game. He it's just, a long con. It's a long con, right. Um, but it was, you know, they if, were if, mentioned for free in the early books, and now it's paid. Your kid, the first one's free. Uh, or it was up for auction. Like, you know, if you want um, Harry Potter watch, you know, Universal, it's up to you to, to make it your best offer. I don't know, man. I guess, I guess this is one way that doing the site has changed me. Uh, you know that I'm not as precious about books. Like I think of them as as real objects made by and for humans. So they are not commandment tablets. Um, 
and you know, books and reading in the publishing industry isn't dying, but it's it's competing with other industries and looking for different ways to make money. And I don't know, I could be done in a way that I, I guess I guess the thing I, that I would like it's kind of goes back to the Harper Lee thing. Like, just treat me like an adult and tell me what's going on. Like, disclose at the back. You know, like they do with TVs and movies, they say in the credits, you have to look for them, but they're there. Product placement by, you know, Gucci or whatever, or Jeep or whatever else it might be. Treat me like an adult and let me make my own decisions about it. I don't know. And like, keep it up, maybe, you know, keep it out of kids' stories if you can, or or let me choose or whatever. Even if they couldn't predict that a thing was going to sell hugely, imagine if like after Wild took off in hardcover, if the makers of those boots, those like iconic Cheryl Strayed yeah, what boots, REI boots, right? Yeah, yeah, if they had been like, hey, like I think she mentions the brand in the text anyway, but if it had just, if she, she just does. mentioned like generic hiking boots and they had gone back and been like, so your book is selling like crazy. Um, if you will, and we know it's REI boots, if you will mention the boot, you know, here's your product placement, like name this brand. Or uh, so you're writing a book where the character travels a lot. Maybe you want to mention that they carry to me luggage. Um, yeah. We'll pay you to do that. Like, it's just so, it's just so interesting. Yeah, I think it's fascinating. And and again, there aren't that many, I mean, you know, if James Patterson wanted to get into this business and sign like a multi-book, you know, product placement deal with Starbucks, mm-hmm. you know, cops, cops and detectives, they do nothing but like, Put on latex gloves and drink coffee. Like that's most of what being a PI is, as far as I can tell. Don't don't at me. I mean, you have um, to take your sunglasses off and put them back on. Right, and and pun in between. Uh, so uh, it's it's fascinating. Like uh, I'm not sh- the thing. The thing I guess that's weird is by the time you'd have enough, you have enough sales that product placement could be a thing. It's harder for me to be okay with you selling the product placement. Like mm-hmm. right, it's whatever. Like I, I don't think it's bad, but I'd be much more, you know forgiving or encouraging even if say you're a debut novelist and you got an extra 10 grand for mentioning coke versus james patterson who's going to make 400 million dollars anyway and this is another million dollars mm-hmm. and or like again uh, i don't know i feel like that matters but maybe that's inconsistent like the in twilight books mention a ton of like high-end luxury very fast oh, cars yeah. yeah because this is one of the things that the vampires they have you know generations of wealth because they never die and they have just tons of cars in that series Mm. so you could i could imagine like that after the first one came out where she just name drops a bunch of cars and it sells like crazy someone follows behind and is like so you're probably going to name drop a bunch of cars in this second book anyway Mm. you might as well mention these particular might as well be aston martin right or like books where something about a product that a character uses signifies something about that character like it doesn't oh crazy i just finished crazy rich asians and there's Mm. a bunch of brand name checking there because it relates to how the characters present themselves to their community and their friends and demonstrate their own wealth but like i don't think it and maybe this is just my failure to have a nuanced understanding of handbags but like does it matter for the story if it's a birkin bag or an hermes handbag yeah and if it doesn't then let hermes and birkin like you know fight it out over who gets that placement for this series that cash them checks yeah that the books are becoming really big and now there's a movie series like make that money this is the thing that i'm different about too i think that book riot has made me feel differently about but like Everything that we watch all the time has product placement in it, right down to, you know, like Walter White's particular car on Breaking yes, Bad that they right. make sure to, they make sure to zoom in on what brand it is sometimes. <laughs> like <laughs> we're fine with it on 
on TV and on movies and books are, I just really think they're just not that different. Yeah, they, they aren't. They're, I mean, we like them and they do different things and maybe there's something to reading a bunch. Again, this is also a thing you and I share is like books aren't magic. They're awesome, right, right. but they're not magic, you know? So anyway, <laughs> all right. Well, I don't even know. We were we translations from, and... Yeah, from Iceland to Billy. It's all Billy's pizza. It's fault. all... Yeah, right. <laughs> it's, it, it figures that Elizabeth Slander would be at the uh, the, the, the root <laughs> of this. Uh, where are we going to go next? I guess we're in the thriller zone. We are let's, in the thriller zone. Let's go to this next story. Um, wow, this is, a, this is an interesting one. So the gist of it is that uh, this was a story we originally saw in Jezebel, though I don't know... I guess the this is actually a Jezebel spin of a Wall Street Journal mm-hmm. thing, and we're linking. We'll put a link to the Jezebel one because it's not behind a payroll. What the Wall Street Journal was, but there is a trend of um, male writers, especially writing psychological thrillers, uh, of using either. Well, I guess they're all ambiguous. Like, there's no one called Jennifer here. Of using ambiguous author names. Um, in, an, in, in an effort, apparently, to sell books, right? To sell more books. And, you know, the, the, the titles, that, the, the girl titles continue. There's a final girls, The Girl Before, The Woman in the Window, written respectively by Riley Sager, J.P. Delaney, and A.J. Finn. Um, and I guess this one really came out because Riley Sager, that book, that new book called The Final Girls came mm-hmm. out, and it's really by some dude, and I don't even Todd know his Ritter. name. Todd Ritter. Um, and who's, and that Riley Sager... Profile, like if you look at their Instagram or their Facebook page, there's no and the flat the jacket copy. It doesn't say they're a woman, but it also doesn't say really anything that would tell you one way or the other. Um, and I guess basically what's happened is a strategy that women were using to combat sexism and book buying is now that's now provided cover for these guys to, you know. I guess move in on the territory, right? Like now we, I'm going to move into the signifying tradition of we don't know if you're a woman or not. And then in a way, the psychological thrillers by are about women that are written with uh, initials. I guess we've now come to understand that they're probably women is what happened, right? right. Do I have that right? Yes. And so that new assumption provides an opportunity for some dude to come and say, get in on the action, which is kind of sucks. I have to say, I don't like it. Yeah. I think it sucks too. It's, I, well, I think we talked about last year, two years ago, when there was that poet who was a white guy, but who was yeah. using, um, oh, was it Korean? I can't remember the particulars. A- he was Asian, I think Chinese, right? And Sherman Alexi picked him yes, for a he volume. He was using right. a pseudonym because he thought that like as a white male, he was being disadvantaged. And so he would get some, he would be more likely to be featured if he had a name that sounded like he was a person of color. Um, though like, you don't, when you are in the most advantaged group, which white male authors are, you don't then get to like try to take what you think is a benefit or an advantage or just even a slice of success from another group. This isn't like, oh, you know, women are just getting all the attention these days and the only way to get some is to pretend to be a woman. It's that like women are finally getting a little attention. <laughs> as writers and for men to 
to take ambiguous names, especially like you were saying on these patterns of using initials, which is historically a thing and culturally like a thing that women writers do to sound less female so that they can sell more books because men... Like it's noted here that they're trying to sell psychological thrillers to women, like that men are adopting these ambiguous pen names. But it's also worth mentioning that like it is very difficult to market and sell books by women to men. And so if Mm -hmm. you take an ambiguous pen name that like that gives you a greater chance and women have done that to try to give themselves a level playing field. But now men who already have the most advantage on the playing field are trying to get a piece of that too. And the writer of this Jezebel piece and like it's Jezebel. So they pull no punches. It's like one of the authors featured has gone so far as to try on a bra. So he didn't make any obvious mistakes that might throw their female readers out of the story. But I wonder if he also gets the infuriating emails or the creepy DMs Mm. or the generally patronizing BS. And like, for me, that's where this lives of like, oh, women are getting some success in this particular arena. I could try to, as a white guy, tap into some of that success if I do this, this thing. And in this case, that thing is use an ambiguous pen name, but you get to take the advantages without taking any of the challenges of -hmm. being a woman in publishing or a woman author or like basically a woman in the world. Um, And it's just, I think it's deeply uncool. Yeah, and it's a little tricky. You know, there's a lot of weird things, like, in general, like, just, this is kind of sucks, is what I don't like about it. I mean, I guess if your name is actually uh, Alex Jeffrey Finn, just to use one of these AJ Finns, like, there's also a tradition in crime writing, of and writing in general, like, it doesn't go crime, like, you know, T.S. Eliot, A.A. Milne, J.R.R. Tolkien, whatever, of using initials as your authorial name. So that part's a little bit tricky, but when you layer on... Like this new, you know, what it's called griplet, some people call this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the Gone Girl and its Children, basically, I think is what we could call what we could call this. Interesting, uh, Gillian Flynn didn't, you know, used her, yeah. uh, her Gillian. real name. Gillian. So it's, it, it, and, and, and also don't at me about, you know, J.K. Rowling doing this. Like, <laughs> don't, don't, come on. You, when you, it goes you, don't, back, you don't get a hit like, at this level if you, you make that kind of false, like power matters. Right, like, come right. on, man. Um, don't, don't, don't bring that. Uh, nothing burger to to this party. Uh, it, it's just you know I don't know. I, so th- that part I guess using the initials is like a little bit. It's the a, a a new identity, like just a completely different name that's so obviously a marketing tool. Mm-hmm. I don't like. We also don't know, frankly. The, do we know that the that it matters? Like that's do we, we have we gotten a study about sales of like. You know, we, you and I are always frustrated with the lack of. I was data about to say, we have we ever gotten a study about anything? But like, Jeff? do we even know that this works? I mean, do we even know that it works? Either way, I mean, whatever. Like, in a way, it's almost worse if it there's no data because then you're yeah. just. I don't know. I say, if it, we the whole thing like, sucks. if we like know it. that it works at all, and that's verbal scare quotes around yes no it's because there have been a handful of best-selling books that have these initials for the author names Mm -hmm. or um, ambiguous sounding author names and that's law of small numbers Um, but i am happy to bet dollars to donuts that there's not like an actual big study about it yeah i would i would be surprised um if there is something like that so anyway i it's it's i mean i guess also as it's kind of like with the product placement like buyer beware like you should know this is a thing that's happening because I, I do think as a as a buyer I don't know I mean well, you know I grew up as a new critic which is the author doesn't matter but I've come around I mean look I, that's completely 
bogus. But you want to know, like, I, don't, I just, it's like the Harper well, Lee thing all over again. I just don't like to, I don't like to, treat me like an adult. Yeah. Treat me I like an adult. That, um, I hope that she won't mind me outing this story, but um, Liberty recommended Final Girls on all the mm. books a couple of weeks ago. And when, at that point, when she was recommending it, she was like, and we know that Riley Sager is a pseudonym for someone, mm. but we don't know what that is. And so we were joking about, you know, putting on our detective hats and trying to figure it out. And a couple of days later, there was a story in USA Today that mentioned the book and then just like casually mentioned that it was a pseudonym for Todd Ritter. Um, and there was no big reveal about it, but it was the first that either of us mm-hmm. had seen who this actually was. And I don't think anybody at Book Riot had known either that it was a pseudonym or if so, who it was for up till then. And we were talking about it later and she was like, you know, I'm relieved that it was Todd Ritter, this person that I don't know. And not some like, what if it had been like a big name thriller person who, or, or big name author at all, or just someone mm-hmm. with really established bad behavior like oh yeah interesting yeah one of the things that we do in our editorial discretion on the podcast and in coverage on the site is like somebody has a track record of being really gross about something like we will make decisions about that we don't tell the contributors they can't write about it like i got the worst harassment of my life um a couple of years ago that stemmed from a retweet by a mainstream thriller writer and like Mm -hmm. if it had turned out to be oh god yes you know like if it if it had turned out that riley sager was him we would have done something about Mm -hmm. that like Oh, we don't want to point you guys in the direction of reading books by people who also encourage like armies of MRAs to harass people. <laughs> yeah, um, and I think so there's as, that like the, there's that layer too of like you're you are tricking somebody in, on some level when you take a pseudonym and it's a marketing tactic, but also for people in our position of like we have a yeah. limited space to recommend things and we like to consider what we're doing. It was, it was very like, Oh, well I'm relieved that it turns out it's not a garbage person. Yeah. And you don't have to go that, I mean, you don't have to go that far. I mean, that's, I hadn't thought about that extreme, but though completely possible case of something like that happening. But like, I think a lot of readers of this, or listeners of this show are like us and like, we are aware of where our publishing dollars go. Right. And it matters to us, like if we support an independent bookstore, we support a debut author, we support an author of color, we buy poetry. Like I'm very cognizant of where my mm-hmm. dollars are flowing, and this basically uh, doesn't allow me to make a decision um, along where you know where I want my dollars to go. This is just it's relying up. It's sort of betting that I won't do that. I don't have any consciousness about where my dollars go. It's almost betting that I won't look even one layer down, um, which sucks, which which basically means you're, you're trying to take advantage of somebody, right? Like if you're sort of relying on people not to do their homework or not to willfully obfuscating, um, that, that kind of sucks, I have to say. Like I, anyway, that, that's enough about that, I guess. Yeah. Um, buyer beware, Riley Sager is a dude. I don't know what else to say about that. <laughs> yeah, I'd be interested to hear from yeah, our absolutely. listeners um, if this bothers you, how much it bothers you, um, what kinds of homework you're doing when you're deciding where your book buying dollars go. Like, as an example, some of the Book Riot folks 
check out books by white guys from the library and they spend their book buying dollars on books by people of color. Like you only have so many book buying dollars, you want to put them in a certain place. Um, Is that a kind of math that you're doing? And how does a story like this factor in? It would be great to hear. So you can do that at podcast at bookriot.com. Jeff, we should hear about our next sponsor. Speaking of thrillers, we're still in the thriller zone. Uh, This... We're sponsored this week, again, by the rise and fall of Dodo, right? So here's what this... It's by Nicole Galland and Neil Stevenson. It's a linguist, a military spy, a quantum physicist, and witches. And all must uh, travel in time to bring back magic. And so you should go along on the trip, too. It's a master storyteller, Nicole Galland. Galland, excuse me, Galland. And the best-selling author of Cryptonomicon, Neil Stevenson. So you can go check that out. And I, I, physics, physicists and witches and time travel and spies, oh my. Mm-hmm. Is, I, they can have that one for free. That's, that's <laughs> for them. Um, thanks so much to the rise and fall of Dodo for sponsoring the show this week. You can find out more at harpercollins.com. We're just uh, we're cooking along this week. Where do you want to go? Um, let's go. I don't want to talk about right-wing trolls attacking. You know, we got some trailers and movie news real quick. Mm-hmm. Bird Box. This is a book that's too scary for me. Did you read this? <laughs> I, Bird Box by Josh Mallerman? I did. I did read it. Um, I made the mistake of reading it like at night. I've been trying to talk <laughs> Bob into listening to it on audio so that he can be as scared as I was. Like, just... <laughs> to, mm-hmm. yeah, I did. It was a good, scary book. And it's one of those that's like... It's psychologically scary. It's not blood and gore. Oh, I may be scary. able to handle that. But okay. Tell me the premise. I read the premise okay. and I felt like I might be having, like was in a, I was in a fugue state. Like, <laughs> the, well, the, it, book, it's, the book kind of feels like a fugue state okay. because All right. All so right. much of you know what you're reading typically is about being able to picture the things that are happening um, mm-hmm. and to picture the world of the people. But the setup is when the book opens, something has happened already out in the world where like there's something out there that if you look at this thing, if you see it, you go crazy and you kill people. Like, and, like the ring, right? What was that movie? The ring, you watch the videotape and yes, you die. Yeah, kind of a similar yeah. idea. And so, and like, so no one alive, there's no one alive who has seen the thing because you go crazy ah, and you right. kill it's people. Like Medusa. And, yeah. Okay, right. Gotcha. Exactly. Um, so that's when, a weird trope actually. It is a weird trope. I never considered that. You've got some other thing. Anyway, go ahead. ahead. Yeah. So when the book opens, the main character, this woman, is in a house. All the windows are covered because you can't have the windows open because if you look outside, you might see the thing. Um, So the windows are covered. She's been in this house with these two children, and she has decided it's time to try to leave. She's going to like get in a canoe that is on the property somewhere they're near a body of water and she's going to like go down the river to where she is heard i think on the radio that there's a safe place to go okay. so to get out like to leave the house ever you have to blindfold yourself and the children and you have to be blindfolded going out in the world so everything is about like what you hear and what you smell and what might be out there and this terror of a thing that you don't know what it is but that it'll make you go crazy and kill people if you were to look at it Whoa. And the book is about how does she attempt to make this getaway, basically. And we buried um, the lead, which was the reason we're talking about this is that Sandra Bullock is going to be the the star in a Netflix movie yeah. adaptation of this. Basically. I'm I am so just interested in how this is going to convey. I think mm. it'll be fun to watch because we, as the viewers, will get to will get to see everything that or she... Or we won't. Yeah, it's, a, it's yeah, an interesting filmmaking she, problem. Right, that she doesn't get to see. But it would be interesting, like, 
you know, to spend some of the time just looking at a black screen hearing stuff. Because um, that's what the reading experience felt That'd be like amazing if it's just like a black screen with a bunch of audio. Like, that's the movie. It <laughs> would be kind of incredible. This, it would. Well, Audible should have done it. Oh. Audible. Well, I guess the well, audiobook is the audio kind of with book. The, but but like a full production, like mm-hmm. it'd be fascinating to to try. It would be like you have to put on a blindfold and then listen to the audio. Yes, <laughs> amazing. But you had that, like if you're trying to see the movie in your head when you're reading it and you're in her experience of it, so much of it is just visually absent because she's blindfolded. Um, it's right. it was a really interesting and super creepy reading experience. I think it'll be really interesting to see how it translates. And I think Sandra Bullock will be pretty good. It'll be yeah. interested. Yeah. I always like to, I, I, I always like when Sandra Bullock's in stuff. Um, the other movie creepy stuff, I've always wanted to read um, Nesbo and the, I guess his most famous book is The Snowman, which I didn't realize was being adapted. And there was a full trailer for the movie starring Michael Fassbender that came oh. out this week too, which I made the mistake of watching the trailer and now I can never go to Scandinavia. <laughs> um, but it looks freaky as all get out. Like I, But I love Fassbender too. Um, beautiful, interesting, freaky, you know, I didn't know snowmen, snow people could be so uh, outrageously terrifying. So that's another <laughs> movie news. <laughs> Today in movies, Jeff won't watch. <laughs> <laughs> we should just do a regular bit where I describe a scary book to you. <laughs> yeah, no, it's good. It's great. I won't mind at all. Where's my Xanax? <laughs> right, right. The book is in the freezer. It's like that, that episode. We got, a, we got a trilogy of sort of political we, yeah, book-related news. Should we burn through some of yeah, this and we'll call it a show maybe? Let's just hit them uh, real quickly. First, let's start with the thing we're most excited about, or I'll Uncle speak Joe. for myself. Uncle Joe. Uh, we've talked, Joe Biden has a book coming out this fall. He's going on tour. <laughs> Um, That's the big news. The book is called Promise Me, Dad, A Year of Hope, Hardship, and Purpose. It comes out November 12th. It is about uh, his decision not to run for president last year and how that was connected to um, the life and death of his son, Bo. And he's kicking off his tour with a sit-down with Oprah. (laughs) Like I'm and the crying. note and the note here in the Washington Post says it is the tour says build being billed less as a traditional book tour and sounding something almost like an aspiring presidential candidate would launch. Well, in the list of cities, somebody at Book Riot noticed. They're all in Michigan or something. <laughs> yeah, no, the list, it's a 19-city book tour, <laughs> and a whole lot of them are in swing states. Yeah, a lot of New Hampshire and Iowa. Um so you can check out where he's going to be if this is interesting to you. I cannot wait for this next round of political memoirs. And you know that Joe Biden on book tour is just going to be like a five-alarm snot bomb from start oh, to finish. The, the, I, I had to mute myself when you were reading the title. I'm like, I can't. <laughs> I know. Yeah, you really can't, especially your thing with fathers no. and sons. It's- no, this is horrible. This is not an acceptable thing for me to be even thinking about reading. Um, real quick, Oprah side note. I don't know if you guys knew, listened to... Um, the Dear Sugars podcast. It's back for season uh, mm-hmm. Cheryl Strait, and I can't remember what her co-host name. I'm so sorry, but they have a new season. Oprah's guest number one. So go check that out too if you're interested in that. And sort of thing. oh, in other movie trailer news, the first look. Oh, at the Wrinkle in Time. A Wrinkle in Time, and that Oprah oh, is in yes. came out this week. Also, um, and just because the internet is the internet, when we celebrated this at Book Riot, we got like, Oprah is black. She should not be playing this character. And it was like, this is a book about time travel. (laughs) So let's suspend our, let's talk about suspending reality. Amanda was, we were joking, but like behind the scenes about like, maybe Maggie Smith should have played it. (laughs) 
And someone actually did suggest that. Um, but Oprah uh, looks awesome uh, in that, all the stuff. That movie looks like a trip. Do you know? Ip. This is like one of my readerly shames. I've never read A Wrinkle in Time. It's been, I mean, I read it when I was, not age appropriate is the wrong term, but I was like the target demo, right? I mm-hmm. think I was like 11 when I, I don't remember much about it. Uh, we should read, we should have a read along this summer. It's You could read it in like one sitting, yeah. they're super short. And I think there's three of them, uh, uh, Swiftly Tilting, Planet and a Wind of the Door. I don't know if that's the right order or not. And I think there's only three. I don't think it's one of these Hitchhiker's Guide or Narnia things where it's like the increasingly misnamed trilogy of books where like seven <laughs> books all of a sudden. Um, but that comes out next year. It's June of 2018, I think. Yeah. Well, now uh, I have plenty of time to read it. Fascinating, fascinating. The the yeah, the trailer looks uh, remarkable. Yeah. So, uh, what's moving along? What else? Where we? Oh, uh, James Comey writing a book. Not a surprise. Nope. Um, that one's going to go for the whole piece. Here is about how publishers are really interested in it, but we don't have any dollars yet. There hasn't been a deal. Yeah, I'm guessing it's not 65 mil. Just just throwing it probably out. Probably not. Probably and, not, and but it's also, probably not and, low either. And also, and this one is also in weird stories you have to deal with if you're a famous person that's you know publishing related. This, this dude <laughs> is suing uh, Penguin Random House for copyright infringement because he says that um, they stole his idea for uh, she persisted. Uh, she persisted by Chelsea Clinton. Um, he sent in, I guess, something that he thinks looked like what she did uh, a few years ago to the slush pile there. Never forget for a moment that, you know, the she persisted meme couldn't have existed in 2013 <laughs> because that was about <laughs> Elizabeth Warren about three months. Guys, it's only that long ago. Our news cycle is, speaking of swiftly tilting <laughs> like, planets. Yeah, my, oh my, uh, God. my stash of politically related tank tops is like getting out of control. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, 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 the memes are coming fast and furious. Um so anyway, children's book centered on 13 American women who changed the world uh, and is an unauthorized reproduction of Kimberly's work. Like, mm-hmm. This happens. Get, get out of it. This, is just, this just happens. This happens all the time. Yeah, but I thought we might talk about it. Like, enough, somebody's going to sue you and say that they submitted a book with your same you idea. Know. It happened to Stephanie Meyer. This, <laughs> right. And, yeah. like, like she invented teenage vampires. Yeah, and, th- and this person, I'm sure, invented lists about women. I'm sure this guy did i'm sure he was the first one that came up with it sounds about right this is this is this is this is like a version of mansplaining it's it's man suing like this is a whole different level it's like not only do you have to listen to not only do you have to listen to my main drivel you have to also pay me for it great wonderful you chelsea clinton the daughter of hillary clinton the most attacked female presidential political figure ever. And the probably the most influential political woman stole my idea about a book about influential. (laughs) Like only, oh man, don't at me for what I'm about to say, but only a man would submit this lawsuit. (laughs) I I don't know. I don't know. Lie detected. Uh, anyway, that's a, a good, um, painful laugh, I guess, is where we're oh, ending that. You, you laugh to keep man. from crying, I guess. Yeah. It's not as scary as Bird Box. Oh, God. <laughs> Just the cover of that book is horrifying. I don't even, it's like dripping font. I don't like it. Scratchy, drippy, it is. white it's font cr- on a black it's, bracket. It's, oh, good and, it's good and creepy. I like that psychological 
creepy. I can hang with that a little more than blood and guts creepy. So it it worked for me. But yeah, I won't make you read Bird Box. I will read Joe Biden's book and tell you mm-hmm. about it. Yeah. Uh, you know, Bird Box too is like it comes up for whatever reason, it comes on sale for book right deals, you know, fairly frequently. And I usually include it. And it's uh, people buy. It's one. It's a debut novel, right? And the guy was like in mm-hmm. the in a band. Like that's one of those books that has a a little cult thing. Like yeah. it sells. People know mm-hmm. about it. It's it's fascinating. I I don't know how that happens, but uh, one yeah. of the one of the we mysteries should, of the bookish yeah. world. Maybe a gift that I'll give you someday will be like a set of books that you otherwise wouldn't read, but I'll have redacted them for feelings. <laughs> like. like like censored yeah right like black out the scary parts black out joe biden talking about Bo. so it's just gonna be like landscape restrictions yeah right it's just like and then we were in the bus on the way to ohio (laughs) that'd be so weird it's like a dada it's like a it's like a jonathan saffron for like like inter novel project remember that one he did that was like he cut out a bunch of words out of the whatever like okay whatever you got to do to self-soothe man but that is a weird project uh thanks so much too it all comes down to this for sponsoring this week's show and the rise and fall of Dodo. Thanks for them sponsoring the show. Uh, you have a wonderful trip, and we'll Why, talk to you. you in two weeks. We'll be back next week. Go try Annotated. Get subscribed so you're the first one to come out there. We've done one on George Orwell in 1984. Um, speaking of context that matters about who teaches you a book uh, or gives you a book. And then uh, one about the rise or the fall and rise of independent bookstores since the 1990s. Um, really good feedback on those. You can send an email. Uh, what do we want to hear about? Oh, we want to hear about what you think about the the pseudonyms, you know, mm-hmm. uh, especially um, men using ambiguous pseudonyms to apparently try to write to women. And if uh, you have other feelings about uh, the We want to hear about issue. product placement in books. Oh, yeah. If you know anything, especially, and also idle speculation, is also more always than welcome. welcome. <laughs> oh, always <laughs> completely unsubstantiated rumor and myth. We're here for it. Talk to you guys later. <laughs>